0: A hotel fanatic keynote and tedx speaker avid traveler and jet setter deal maker risk taker passionate leader founder and ceo of practice hospitality and this assembly ladies and gentlemen bashar wali man that sounds like someone i want to meet god i know
1: everything you read on the internet huh
0: uh, yeah exactly well you know obviously bashar your reputation precedes you and just to let the whole world out there know like we've known each other for a really long time. And I think that you've always been there, I mean, it's been a long
1: time. I could be
0: pushing two decades. We're getting old, my friend. We really are. But I think more importantly than anything else, you've always been there um, as a leader in our industry and someone that like I really look up to and aspire to be more like. And uh, you've been been there as a confidant, Um, your perspective on everything, um, just always such a, such a leader and tremendous insight so i just want to say thank you and you know that whole long list is not from nothing it really
1: you're very kind i appreciate you
0: awesome well i guess like so just to get into right into here as far as defining hospitality how do you define hospitality
1: you know it's a really interesting topic that's near and dear and i get righteous on things that i strongly believe in so forgive my righteousness and swearing along the way Please swear. So so I'm going to give you a very long answer because it's really sort of the core of what we're talking about here. People often ask me what business I'm in. And the analogy I use again and again is the following. I say I am in the theater business. And the example I use is I say I could go to Times Square, buy the best piece of land, spend billions, literally billions, building the most beautiful theater on the planet, dripping with gold, platinum, hand-carved art, et cetera, you name it. Have a mediocre story and mediocre actors, and no one will care. The New York Times does not go to the theater to write about the building. They go to the theater to write about the play. So I say I'll go 10 blocks off of Times Square, have a good enough building, and good enough means comfortable, cool when it needs to be cool, warm when it needs to be warm, and just checks all the boxes in terms of comfort. Focus all my energy, money, and effort on a writing an incredible story, an authentic story, and I promise I won't say that word again because it's the most overused word in history an authentic story that has a reason for being. Hi, find, hire, train, and retain incredible talent. Design a set that's secretive to me telling my story, a, AKA interior design, which, by the way, could be made out of garbage cans and found objects or Gold and Platinum, if the story necessitates that setup and the world will be lined up around the corner. So, this idea that people go to hotels for the building is such a big fallacy to me. Of course, the building has to be, again, comfortable, aesthetically pleasing, it has to be interesting, not just a box because not buying, we're not buying a commodity. So if you take that analogy and distill it down to a couple of words, people say we're in the service industry and I often call foul on that because I say, look, I get my oil change. That 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 service company is in the service industry. My dentist is in the service industry. Hoteliers deliver a service, which you could argue can be and is being delivered by robots. A robot can bring me a towel. A robot can check me in. But fundamentally, the difference between the service industry, which is what you deliver, versus the hospitality industry is the following. Hospitality is how you make people feel. And I think the clear distinction there is that until robots can be empathetic and emotionally intelligent and can feel they're not going to be able to deliver you that feeling so feeling generally comes from human accentuated by the way by the setting right if i'm in a beautiful space and this the scent is beautiful and the lighting is beautiful and the flower and 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 then and, and, of course it all is accretive but you know we've all been through hotels And i often talk about these spectacular hotels that i walk into that are soulless and you think about the depth of that that term soulless and soul again comes from humans so to me hospitality at the very core of hospitality are feelings and feelings only for the time being i'm trying to not be that okay boomer i'm not a boomer by the way gen x thankfully as you and i are Uh, but the idea is until such time that something or someone other than humans you could argue by the way dogs kind of can give you that emotional feeling or animals at large i suppose cat people will send hate mail now but the idea is you have to have humans at the center of hospitality and i think we as as an industry have strayed so far away from that that it's become secondary to the things people are secondary things are first i want to out art you and out design you and out and out and out and out but there are no people in the thick of it. So it kind of goes away. And I, I told you a long answer. People ask me why I got into this business. Where I grew up, there's a saying that goes, when a stranger shows up at your door, feed him for three days before you ask him who he is, where he's from, where he's going to. Because by then he'll either be strong enough to tell you, or you'll be such good friends, it won't matter. That is hospitality. Oh,
0: I love that. That's genius. And. It I've thinks, also honestly, heard
1: that Dan, honestly it's so simple it's not there's nothing genius about it when you come to my house I could have a catering company and a valet company and I could pull out all the stops but if we don't have a connection you coming to my house is going to feel like a chore versus you know what show up whenever you want doors open always welcome making you feel at home will make you more apt and more excited to come to my house
0: right and I, and I I Again, just in the feeling of hospitality and delivering, and you know, I totally agree with you that it is the feeling, and it's that space between all of us, you know. And the funny side is, feed them for three days. There's also that pillow that people have in their vacation homes that say guests are like fish; they stink after three days. Right? <laughs> move, move on. So, uh, well, thankfully but in
1: ho- thankfully in hotels we rarely reach the point of expiration date, so Our guests in hotels are perfect guests because they're in and out
0: for a day, day and a half, generally speaking. So it's easy. I totally agree. And so on the authentic thing, I know it's such an annoying um, and over overused and it's become inauthentic. One of the things that I've been hearing a lot is, okay, is it consistency rather than authenticity or to be consistently authentic and i think what you're driving at with that feeling um and that idea of feeling it's just you need and to come you know, up
1: authentic- with some- authenticity to me the definition mm-hmm. of authenticity not not the definition my definition is have an unapologetic point of view yeah. if you want to wear a pink shirt wear a damn pink shirt and own it and don't give a damn what anyone thinks right So fundamentally, it really is about being yourself, arguably, and being yourself is doing what you want respectfully. I never want to be authentic to the detriment of others, right? I never want to be authentic to disrespect others. If if my authentic me is that guy, then that's you don't want me in society, arguably. Right. So the point I make is be be yourself, because the minute you become yourself, you, you de facto become authentic. That is the definition of authenticity. If you don't pretend to be anything or do anything or do it just for social credit or because that's what people deem to be cool, you become the cool guy by that. If you don't try to be cool, you're cool by definition, right?
0: Yeah, so, and that comes down, I think, to the essence of just making people feel comfortable,
1: right? Exactly, feel comfortable enough to be themselves. You know what, you wanna come into my hotel? You don't need to wear a suit. I don't give a shit what you wear, be yourself be yourself now this idea of consistency however consistency to me consistency to me has a robotic sort of undertone to it we're humans we're imperfect we cannot be the same every single time and that's where i sort of i cried foul historically about the rigidity of luxury brands and their ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen and there you have to say the guest three times and then it was prescribed and the minute it's prescribed, it's inauthentic, and when it's inauthentic, it's not warm. So the idea is, look, what is the goal? We want you to make the guest feel welcome. Do it your own way, do it your own authentic way, because it's going to be far more, people use the word genuine a lot too, same same sort of, sort of thing. We want genuine hospitality. Well, genuine hospitality, I can't tell you to be genuine, but tell you how to be genuine. Being genuine is just sort of, say what comes out of your mouth and your heart. So. I was actually talking to someone in academia yesterday about the idea that should we as an industry do far more pre-testing before we hire to really hone in on, are you at heart, are you built to be hospitable? Now, I could argue that's really a fallacy, I think. I think we all have it in us, even introverts generally. Because look, if you take it Darwinian, we're a species that need each other to survive, So we de facto want to be together and want to be part of a group that's bigger than ourselves. But, but this idea about making sure that you really have that—you know, the Languages of Love book, right? I talk about that a lot, and mine is acts of service and gifts. Me by too. Right? I'll I'll give you my address later for gifts. But the acts of service (laughs) comes naturally to me. I don't have to think Mm -hmm. about it, right? Like literally, it comes naturally to me. So I would think that if I were hiring someone, I want that to be a strong suit for them: is having that sort of spirit to serve, desire to serve. They don't feel, they don't think of it as a chore, they don't think of it as subservient, but they really want to make people's lives better. I think those are always going to be better candidates. But generally speaking, if, if you really take it out a much broader sense, and by the way, people always connect hospitality with luxury. Mm-hmm. You could be at a days in and be hospitable. There's no difference in my mind. It's really about how you approach someone. And if you really believe you are there to make their life for in that one moment in time transaction better, then it's easy. You can accomplish the goal so easily.
0: What's interesting where you're saying to get to the, uh, obviously for any business and a hotel is a business, right? But there's this certain element of, which is true in any business, it's all about the people that you have on the bus, so to speak. And I think, I think it was Danny Meyer um, from Union Square Hospitality Group. He has this thing, I think he calls it the hospitality quotient or the H quotient, which kind of gets into almost being able to test and recruit people and score them based on on that level. I don't know if it's hard, but it really goes to the heart. Right. Are you familiar with that? And what are your feelings? I'm, on I'm
1: that? familiar with that, uh, with Danny's um, um, concept. And I think, again, I was talking to someone in academia and hospitality yesterday at a, at a household uh, named school was really starting to think about it differently. I talk a lot about emotional intelligence a bit more because mm-hmm. it's broader than just hospitality. Right. If you're emotionally intelligent being and I think you can test for that, perhaps not very scientifically, but you can test for it. An emotionally intelligent being is going to behave and react to people based on their emotions and be accommodating to them, generally speaking, right? So if you show up and you're there with your wife and your kids and you're shuffling around and you're sort of, you know, you want to be talked to and, and you want to know all the details, I sort of should read your emotions and be able to respond to you. Because in my view, Dan, I think the new definition of luxury is ultra personalization and by the way who gives a crap about the mint on the pillow the example that we use forever do it for me where it delights and surprises me right like i like my room 64 degrees year round you should know that about me and that thermostat should be at 64 when i walk in the room because it won't be lost on me because it's a subtle thing right so the idea of ultra personalization to me at the very peak of it is to understand what I want and give me what I want. Not what you think I want or what your corporation thinks I want. Don't read me a list. Don't follow a checklist because I am not I am. a. And if you believe in Maslow's hierarchy of need, right? Self-actualization at the very top. Self-actualization to me is being recognized as the one and only. If you make me feel like I'm the one and only, you've won me. And how do you make me feel like the one and only? Don't read a script. Treat me, like talk to me as an individual. And honestly, I've been you know exaggerating for effect here, but calling foul on the, the word team, because if you're on my team, Dan, that almost diminishes your contribution. You're one of many, there's a socialist element to it. I wanna celebrate Dan for Dan, for what Dan does, for what Dan contributes, not Dan as a part of a team. So, so I think individualization at the end of the day is what will win the day. And I think that at the, at, the, at the very lowest common denominator on the ground, at the moments of truth, as, as they're called, when, when the night auditor at two o'clock in the morning is dealing with a guest, that moment of truth, emotional intelligence is what will win every time. So if we can hone in on that skill set, I think that's where you win. Now, so, you could potentially think, sorry, and I'll close with this. You can oh, no potentially problem. think of the hospitality piece as maybe mm-hmm. a little different because... Yeah. You don't need to be all gooey, ooey and gushy, right? Because yeah. that's what people think of hospitality. If you're emotionally intelligent enough to read me and understand what I want, when I check in, don't talk to me. Like, don't tell me about the spa and the whatever. I don't wanna talk to you. I'll talk to you separately about, hey, why'd you get in the business? I love talking to people that way, but don't give me the spiel. You wanna win me over? You hand me my card and send me on my, don't tell me where the elevator is, I can hear it. So if you're smart enough to read me and give me that, you've hit my goal versus Dan who wants to be talked to for an hour. And someone might view the transaction that I have as not hospitable because they
0: rushed me off. It is very hospitable. It's what I want. Okay, so a couple of things there. And I love the idea of ultra-personalization. And it also gets a little bit creepy though, because for me to know that you like your room at 67 degrees or any other thing, like maybe you do like the mint on the pillow. Maybe you like only taking a bath in Evian. How do we collect that information and be ultra personalized without like being paralyzed by analysis and also borderline creepy? Like, how do we do that? Well, look, what, whatever
1: I don't want you to know about me is in my control theoretically, right? If I'm putting things out in the world, whether it's an Instagram post or my Facebook profile or my LinkedIn post or whatever medium I use, I'm putting that information out there and some may not think about it that way. Look, look, I've gone to hotels or been had hotels where people will literally get pictures of your family off the web, frame it and put it on your nightstand. Okay, that might be a tiny bit creepy, but you have that picture out there. The entire world can see it. If you didn't want anyone to see it, you should have made it private. But that kind of maybe potentially crosses the line. But to me, the the, the temperature example in my case, if I'm a repeat customer and I'm not that guy because I never stay in the same place twice, as you know, like, like if you if like use me as an example again for a minute. If you Google my name, like you'll very quickly find some speech that I made or something that talks about that. What an incredible way for you to win me! And why do you win me? Back to my initial comment, because you make me feel like I'm one of a kind. You sending me in an amenity because your your arrival lists check check the box that I'm VIP, and there's a protocol that says when a VIP check in sends them package A VIP amenity. That, that loses its effect on me because honestly, I don't need your wine and your, your champagne and your whatever. But if you make me feel like I'm the one and only, it's gonna go far further, in my opinion, than whatever you might do for me. So the question, your question about creepiness, there is a line, and the burden is on you to find out more about me. And I think there's technology out there now that has simplified that process. And I sort of say, if you have a 200-room hotel and you have 150 check-ins on any given day, you don't have to do it for every single one of the 150 people. Do it to a decent enough percentage, and over time, that becomes your thing. Because logistically speaking, it's not that easy, unless, by the way, you're Marriott, right? And you have a system, and you have a a, a reward system that should know me, and by the way, they still don't do it, even though they know me, right? Like I stay, and you have my profile, and you know what I do. And I think technology will further enable that, right? Because theoretically, if you stay in my room, I should know after you left what the temperature was, what channels you watched, et cetera, and only use that information to serve you relevant things for you. And, you know, like we talk a lot about privacy. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm, on the opposite end of that spectrum. Find out whatever you want to find out about me. I don't really care, right? I don't have any secrets, essentially. So do I care that Amazon serves me things that are relevant to me? No, I'm happy about it. They know what I want and what I like. So don't show me junk I don't care about. So I kind of think about it from that lens. But if you're ultra concerned about your privacy, well, that's somewhat in your control, right? Don't put
0: any information out there that you don't want. Okay, that's good to know. And then, you know, going back to making yourself comfortable, like when do you like, okay, so you've given me all these instances of how they can connect with you and like how they could wow you by doing a little work and and showing that they care about you as an individual. But when you're out there never staying at the same hotel, and wanting to have all of these different experiences, because you're this you're in the business of delivering experiences to people and making them feel like special individuals when do you feel the most comfortable I, I generally
1: say it's funny you ask that question because I think ultimately the burden is on you to win my loyalty right and you know you you know so the story is I never stay in any hotel more than once or one night uh, three nights in Manhattan I moved three times my current count in Manhattan is two zero six different hotels and people say well what do you remember right like I I I I literally could not tell you what kind of flooring material is at the Baccarat. I can't tell you what kind of art is at uh, at the Ludlow. I don't remember any of those things. So my generic answer to this question that I always give is that I only remember when someone goes out of their way and genuinely underscore gives a shit. The bar is so low. But ultimately, the only thing that sticks is when someone does something for me. Not because they were told to, because they chose to. This idea of using the guest's name three times when they check in, not impressive, my name is in front of you. You You're not impressing me because you're reading it. You want to impress me when I walk in and out a couple of times on my way back in, remember my name without looking down, that'll impress me. But the idea of, look, not every problem can be fixed, right? But when I have a problem, convince me you care
0: about solving it for me. And that's what's going to make me remember.
1: So I love it again.
0: Yeah, and I love how you you brought up the backer up because one of my favorite I stayed there uh, living in New York City. We went on a staycation for an anniversary or something. And I think my wife and I were just in the lobby which is upstairs, kind of looking around and I don't remember what it was a poster a, a photo of a guy's hand. I remember we were just staring, just standing there looking at it for a little bit. And someone came up. I think they they could have been a waiter. I don't remember who they were actually, but they basically said, "Oh, that's a great photo. That is the hand of the man who was like working with all the Baccarat Christos, it's a French guy. And it just showed the leatheriness of his hand. And he he had this whole story and he, it wasn't prescriptive. He wasn't, it wasn't a script. He just really, they educated their whole team to know. And then going back to, okay. So you have all these handbooks and manuals of how to operate and deliver hospitality. Okay. That's like the baseline, but it's like, how do you find those right people with the emotional intelligence to deliver on that to take that and make it something individualized so and how look, do you, do you that?
1: just you just use the perfect example people would think at the baccarat you would be ooing and eyeing about the beautiful crystal and the blah 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 you probably don't remember any of it right and it's such a unique example because it's like a very specific kind of asset that you would remember things from the only thing you remembered with was, was this person Who made you feel it was unscripted even if it were scripted he did not make you feel that way this guy cared about you and your wife standing there looking at that piece of art enough to come and tell you about it to engage with you in the beautiful act of human conversation right so that's what I remember totally agree with you now you ask a very good question is how do you do that with people and I honestly think that's the most nebulous question and answer I can give you is there isn't if, if there was an easy, prescribed way to do it, everyone would do it, right? Why wouldn't they? I think fundamentally, in my view, I can train you on tasks, but the way I make you go above and beyond, and the way I make you inclined to walk up to this couple and tell them about that painting, even though it's not your job, is to create a culture that celebrates that, right? C- culture creation, people often confuse with training. You can't train on culture, you can build culture and build community, and that comes from you know, and scale matters. It's harder to do it when you have a thousand hotels, obviously. It's a lot easier to do it when you have less because if if you truly believe in it and you're doing it for love, not for money, this idea of I love, you know, I love hosting strangers in my house and making them feel good. And if you believe in that and live it and demonstrate it to your folks day in and day out, not one time, this is not a mock training, right? It's It's day in and day out. I think ultimately, that's how you weed the ones that don't fit in that system out and the ones that love and appreciate it stay. And you know, we talk a lot about how do you keep employees engaged long-term? Sure, you got to pay right, and you've got to give the benefits, and you've got to do it a lot, but I always say how you treat them and how they treat each other and your expectations of how they treat each other, up or down or sideways or up that, that organization ladder or down. And I use this simple analogy and I say, think about the message you send when you say, the bathroom in the lobby must be immaculate. You must be able to eat off the floor. But the employee bathroom can be a pig's die. I don't really care. Think about the message you send there. So I think a lot of things you do, a lot of actions you do that are generally about mutual respect and setting leading by example and 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 appreciating individuals for their individual accomplishments is what ultimately builds culture, not a manual, not an outside company to do training. And it, it, uh, culture is I the mean, most Danny amazing Meyer, thing. By the way, you mentioned Danny Meyer. Yeah. It's not because of his manuals and SOPs. It's because of him. He is the driving force and the energy behind that the ideal of service that his company was built upon because he's passionate about it.
0: And I think that passion and who he is is because he was able to, by the way, he does things to get his values or these core values out. And then they're not, they're not just platitudes hanging on a wall. I think that he really, from everything that I've seen and every successful business I've experienced and built that has um, great people and a, and a thriving culture, it's all based on values.
1: And practicing what you preach and being true to your values and selecting the values because they're meaningful to you, not because they're the buzzy thing going on in the world today. And yeah. again, all the way back to what does that mean? authentic to your true self because anything else you try will fade over time.
0: Truly. And and with those values, I also see that a a lexicon and a language has developed in those companies and organizations around those, you know, four to six different values that people are praising each other on. They're giving critical feedback on, but they're always talking about it and using those as guideposts to create a language. Who do you think like in our industry has done an exemplary job of defining those values and also living by them, making them really come to life where they're not just platitudes.
1: Really interesting question. I mean, it's hard to, to generalize because to me, ultimately, it's about the team on the ground, right? Not a brand necessarily. Because I could tell you I've been to some fabulous brand X hotels and some terrible brand X hotels. So, so to me fundamentally it's about the team and i'm trying to think like like kimpton i think for a long while truly lived by the bill kimpton's core principles that he put out and even after his passing his team you know with nikki Dakis, they really saw that through and delivered through on it and even as they got to scale it continued to be the kimpton of old and you got what you expected from them that was so unique and different because every hotel was unique and different, but those core values shined through. I think similarly with de V and, and Chip, right? And, and Chip's soul permeated through every... Look, some hotels were perfect, some hotels were not perfect, some hotels were pretty, some hotels were not so pretty, but you could feel the Chip's soul and touch through them all. So I think those are the ones that we point to often again and again. There's a lot of fantastic individual hotels out there or single offerings from big companies. But I think Kimpton is probably the most recent example I can point to that. have done it not with that. Look at me. I'm cool. But with that true sense of we're good to our guests, we're good to our employees, we're good to each other, we're all in this together. Before that sentence was a buzzy sentence like it is now. I think Kimpton had always sort of had that feeling that we're all in
0: this together. It's interesting on the Kimpton side and um, because I, a couple of years ago, I, after the acquisition by IHG of Kempton, I was at some industry event and he, this guy I was sitting next to, he was talking about how he creates all the procedures and, and just all the standards of all the brands for IHG. I said, and I've always done a lot of work with Kimpton, living in San Francisco. And they actually, actually gave me my first shot um, out there. But I remember saying, Oh, when are you going to do that with Kimpton to kind of standardize them and get them into the whole IHG thing? He's he like, I hope never we'd really fuck that up, right? Yeah, because exactly. they saw look, IHG is incredible at doing all that stuff through through their delivery of service. But like sure. Kimpton does have a very special thing and they're I think that they've really done a great job of staying true to that as they even as they scale and go internationally. Yeah,
1: agreed. And I think look, it becomes harder. It's just the nature of the beast obviously. You can control it when you have 20, 30. When you have 100, it's it's a different conversation. It's a much harder task to do but I think so far they've managed to really maintain their core values and not deviate from them much, notwithstanding their acquisition, I agree with you.
0: So, okay, so we've been talking about the good stuff of how do you get comfortable, how do you get your, to your true self and hiring people with that emotional intelligence that can live and breathe by core values and recruit the right people to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's on the good side. So we, I also find that in my life, I've learned so much by, oh, that was a horrible experience. Right. So if you were to go through that was like a, a horrible hospitality experience that kind of changed the arc of how you deliver hospitality in your businesses and life. Um, tell me about that. I'd love to hear about that. Just like an example, you mean?
1: Yeah. Look, there, there's and it's, it's kind of a, an easy one. It seems like we as an industry decided that if you book through a third party, you are a second class citizen. We will treat you like a second-class citizen. We will look down upon you as you check in. We will give you our worst room. And and it became to me when I experienced it myself, right? Like the one time I booked that I and on hotel tonight or something. I'm looking at it. I'm, look, I'm saying, look, why? If you don't want it, if you don't want this channel, why are you on this channel? And you're so stupid for taking someone who's come to you wherever they've come to you through, whatever channel they've come to you through, and wanting to do business with you, fine, albeit on price, price I picked you on price, but you have an opportunity to turn me around, to make me a loyal customer. So, so when I experienced it myself for the first time, it really changed my perspective on this idea, again, back to emotional intelligence. If you hate Expedia and you don't wanna be on Expedia, don't be on Expedia. How dare you treat a guest walking through your door who is the same as the next person who walked through their door, your door differently because they booked somewhere where you put your inventory. So that really changed my perspective about we kind of almost were racist in our guest profiling as to their source of business and I'm like well that's you're you're being racist against a group who did something together so you can't be you have to be welcoming to all and the choice is yours. So I myself have experienced a ton of horrible experiences over the years right and I've seen a ton of failures where People could have easily turned the situation around and have failed miserably. I tend to be more tolerant, right? So I don't necessarily write you off because I always say, you know, imperfect, so I'm more, I'm more forgiving of our industry. But I think this idea of classifying guests and saying, well, if he's from business travel, BT, we got to treat him different than transient or leisure. It's such a fallacy. They're all They're all equal humans in my mind, regardless of what channel they came through, obviously. And ultimately, they're all potential lifetime customers. Why are you missing the opportunity on keeping them or trying to keep them at least? So I think this idea of segregating customers by market segment or by by source of business and treating them differently is one of the worst things we've done as an industry. Notwithstanding, by the way, our inherent biases, which I've been obviously very preachy about this idea of inclusion and diversity and all of that. That's a different conversation, but I think that particular segmentation of customers is is a terrible thing that we as an industry continue to do to this day which is fascinating to me
0: well i want to okay so you have been tremendously passionate and really leading one of the big leaders within our industry on diversity and inclusion which also is so important to what we are all trying to do because just from raising awareness a and b giving opportunity um i know that you used an example there of you know someone coming from an OTA and doing that but like there are larger structural oh, yeah. issues within our yeah. industry you're going to get me started on that I don't no know I want to because because to me it's uh there are some there's huge challenges that we have that we're I, having and I want I have yeah been I, righteous
1: about this and and you know righteous to the point of you know I've, I've probably alienated a bunch of people but you know again authenticity right i believe so strongly in this i don't give a shit what you think it's it's up to you how you take it our industry historically has been falsely perceived as diverse because in fact at the bottom we're very diverse right we're an industry of immigrants and all walks of life but as you start climbing up that ladder very quickly, it gets wider and wider and wider and wider and, and male dominated. Uh, you think about the Alice Conference in LA or the NYU Conference in New York. And I sort of say, I stand on the balcony at Alice on the mezzanine and I look down and it is a sea of blue suits, white rice, middle aged men, men in blue suits. And over the last few years, there's been sort of the token women that have been given the opportunity to show up and glad to see it, and tiny percentage. I can't even imagine what the percentage is. So when you look at a housekeeper population, white folks are far few, they're the minority. You go up to the top, all white. So clearly, something in the system is broken that's not allowing these people to climb up the ladder, to get, We're not. we're not letting them as an industry make it to the top. And something along this journey that I've learned, and you know, you learn every day, and really was, was, a, was a pretty pivotal moment for me in this conversation, was the idea of little black kid going to school, goes home to his mom and dad and says, look, I want to go into the hospitality industry. And mom and dad's immediate reaction is, what the hell are you thinking? We've been fighting for 400 years to quit serving the white man, and you want to go serve him? That's what you want to do? Because in their mind, they view the service industry, to use that term for a moment, as servitude. Uh And think about the clear distinction between those two words. So little Johnny who wants to go be in the hospitality industry, the parents say, yeah, you want to go be a houseman or a bellman or a housekeeper or a server or a dishwasher? Hell no, we don't want you to do that. That's not a good path for you. And the reason they say that is they look up at the top and they don't see anyone that looks like them. There are no black CEOs, there are no you know, C-Suite, far and few in between, far and few in between, obviously. So, so this idea of service versus servitude is real, and I think the only way we can fix it is to encourage African-American children. I'm focusing on that group for now, but that's a broad term, obviously. Broad term in terms of you know the diversity, it's not exclusive to that group, but I think it's probably the least represented, I would say, in our industry. So we've got to do a better job in opening the doors stepping aside from the ladder and letting them climb up and it's funny because i've said this about women by the way in a piece i wrote is that women don't need us to help them all they need us to do is get the hell out of their way right yeah but we continue to stand in their way we continue to create systems that oppress them and that's what we do also with with sort of minorities we create systems that oppress them really interesting again i told you you're going to get me on a tangent here we talk about ai right like you think about resume filtering ai filtering resumes the only reliable information that program has to has to rely on is the past, right? So they say, okay, out of the 10,000 applicants that applied for this job, what are the common denominators? So they say, okay, any person whose name was not common, Chantal or Devon or whatever, those people were not hired at the same frequency as James or Bob or Debbie were hired. So the system inevitably says those aren't good candidates to present. So now when a resume comes through and the name Devon is on it, the system is going to say, well, this person should go low on the, on the totem pole because historically they have not been hired at the same rate as Bob or Debbie or Joe, right? So you start thinking about the systems we're creating that are inherently becoming racist in and by themselves because the fact that the data they rely on is inherently racist, right? So, so this is such a deep issue that I think will take a lot of effort and talking and preaching and being righteous about To correct, and it's not going to take you know a night or a month or it's going to take decades, maybe generations to fix. But in our industry specifically, again, our problem is we're very diverse at the bottom, not diverse enough at the top, and the burden is on us to make that to make that difference and make that change.
0: So on this, on any of these kind of structural, like very difficult issues, I always say, and I I don't know where I got it from, but like a waterfall starts with one drop of water, and I feel like there's a shower or a starting of a sprinkling of water within our industry right now. So as far as kind of keeping that torch going and having as many drops of water happening, like, I I know you're passionate, you're outspoken on it, but like, how can we as an industry change those AI algorithms? How can we bring opportunity? Because I also believe, um, and I get this from a, a lot of organizations that I work with, but it's, you know, talent is uniformly distributed, but opportunity is not. So how do we change that structurally?
1: Well, so so we have to act right, ourselves individually. And I think it's going to take a ton of effort. And I think this is past a hashtag or a blog post on your Instagram account. This has to be actionable, tangible, everyday things we can all do. So when I usually finish a talk or a clubhouse or something, I say, look, everyone here can do something. Here's what you can do find someone who's pushing and doing their thing, like, you know, Damon Lawrence, a dear friend who's starting Homage, a Black-owned hotel brand that celebrates Black culture. I say, listen, if you don't have the means, don't have the resources, don't, 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 you're unemployed, you're sitting at home, find Damon, find his email, send him an email and say, I'm rooting for you. I'm here for you. Like, literally, it's that simple. And then from there, obviously, make a connection, open a door, uh, offer a service, write a check to a cause, go out and 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 protest in in protests, write to your center. There, are, every person have a thousand things they can do if they choose to do them, and they have to do them every single day. You don't do it just once and check the box and say I'm done for the year. I've delivered what I need to deliver. So fundamentally, those are the simple things you can do. But there are other things you can do. Dan, you get invited to sit on a panel, right? You look at the panel; it's all middle aged white men. You should say i'm not comfortable sitting on this panel because if you raise it right now whoever organized it is going to say either will say oh that schmuck who cares will find someone else or they're going to say if they hear it from three people they say damn we're doing something wrong here we can't get the right people because we're not doing the right thing right similarly Mm -hmm. you walk into a boardroom full of middle-aged white men walk out So, so we have to become a bit righteous about it again i love that word Because if we don't, it's lip service. It's totally lip service. And by the way, we've been talking about it for 100 years. And the amount of talking versus the amount of progress we've made are so disparate, like there's not even a comparison. So clearly the talking, sure it's working, but we've got to do a lot more. Don't stop just because it's ROI is not as good as it should be. You can't stop because then there's no ROI. But I think we need to exponentially increase our efforts. And by the way, you know this, you have children of your own. Our children literally do not see color. We make them see color. Right. So we also have to think about how we live our lives as as parents and what example we're setting for the next generation. But for our industry, make your voice heard, walk out of a meeting, turn down a panel. That's how we'll make it heard, especially from us sort of experts in the field as it were. If we continue to coalesce and say yes, nothing will change.
0: And I think that's also, really important, like, as I'm getting this podcast up off the ground, it's, that's a huge part of me and my selection criteria is, like, I want to have it literally a diverse group of opinions, and you know where I think I learned that the most from? It was from ILC and Independent Lodging Congress, and them making this concerted effort to, like, really think about how can we change the makeup of our, our advisory board? How can we, uh, present as many diverse opinions as possible. And I think that you being a leader in that me being a a leader in there, and Andrew and everyone else, I I really think that we're leading by example. And I think we just need to keep that wind in all of our sails.
1: And beyond a photo op, right? Because you know, a lot of people do it for the photo op, and you see through that very quickly. To your point, it's not only be there, but have a voice and be heard. Mm -hmm. So
0: So that's all really heavy and I I really think that we are going to make this happen and progress is slow, but it is coming Um, and I'm committed to help that I know you are and I know the people we associate are so let's keep that going. So aside from like that actually excites me about the future a lot of people get down on the future but like what excites you about the future of our industry and where we're going.
1: Again, really great questions. And I'm glad we didn't prepare because I would have been overthinking them. So this free form is (laughs) is my favorite free form. Um, I've often said and continue to believe that our industry has been disrupted twice since its inception. And its inception goes back thousands of years, right? This idea of hosting a stranger in a strange town isn't new. They were disrupted with the internet. Our industry was disrupted with the internet, which disrupted the whole world, and then Airbnb. Beyond that, you think about industry, it's all on the margins, all simple little things that are inevitably progress. Because disruption, people throw that word around too, I'm sick of it. It, It's become meaningless. Disruption to me is like something seismic, right? Not just, oh, you know, we have a new kind of linen that repels bugs. Okay, great, so what, right? So, So what I'm excited about is really watching generationally what's happening particularly this up and coming generation who have really grown up at a very different sort of setup than we did at a much faster pace than we did they're so much more smarter and knowledgeable and forget that their faces are buried in Snapchat and TikTok fine i've come to accept that as a human evolution right we used to grunt to communicate then we started talking maybe in the future we communicate through devices i don't know i don't want to i don't want to be that again okay boomer who says it's going to go away it's not going away And maybe it does become part of human evolution for better or for worse i don't know but i'm excited to see what happens in terms of fundamentally our industry is about you know i need shelter shelter is such a basic need right i need a warm safe place to lay my head because i need to sleep and i need you know to shower in the morning and go on my way it's really very 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 basic right very basic so how do we make it better how do we change it how do we change the narrative like i'm excited for example on the sustainability front to see the conversation obviously having been derailed meaningfully because of the pandemic becoming back to the front and center but beyond what we you and i not that smart thinking about oh you know sustainability is recycling so much more than that right so much more than that how does our food get produced where does it come from what are building like people underestimate building materials. And they say the most sustainable hotel is one that doesn't get built, right? Like think about what what goes into building a hotel. But how how do we really take this conversation that is to me probably as important as a diversity conversation because its implications are global, right? We're gonna lose this one planet we have. There isn't another that we know of just yet. So so I'm excited to see what happens with sustainability from the next generation that will look at it past the idea of recycling. And, you know, I'm also unhappy with the notion that we are saying, yeah, our kids will worry about it and we'll take care of it. I'm not suggesting we're kicking the can down the road. We have to do our part and continue to do our part. But I'm excited to see how they exponentially move that ball forward, move that problem forward that we've created for them. So sustainability front and center. And the other thing that I'm really, really passionate about is big data, particularly in the human behavior observation field like how do we humans interact how do we live how do we interact with spaces how do we use our computer how do we shower how do we turn the light on really taking big data to remove friction out of all these processes and creating human centric design again once again an overused term that's become meaningless but really I am a keen observer of human behavior, and I think using big data back to that sort of privacy issue to create ways to make experiences more efficient, more pleasant, removing the friction and allowing us to enjoy the reduced time from friction in interacting with each other, sitting next to you. If it doesn't take me 10 minutes to check in because they want my credit card and my ID and all that stuff that could be done electronically, I want to say. Hey, Dan, tell me about you. Where are you from? Why are you here? What brings you? Tell me your hopes, dreams, and aspirations, right? Because now we both have the time to do it rather than being stuck at the desk for 10 minutes checking in. So
0: I think from a sustainability, diverse, uh, diversity, and also this kind of frictionless society, if you think about what a hotel is, it's the absolute perfect laboratory to mix all those things together. Because People are actually living and breathing and showering and interacting in that. So it's an opportunity. We have all these crucibles, thousands of crucibles of hotels where we can experiment with this. And I didn't hear you say that. It gets me super excited.
1: Designers, right? Like I always say, why do designers love designing hotels? Exactly that point. If you design a hotel, if you're a designer and you design a hotel, you're designing an apartment. You're designing a, a restaurant, you're designing an office, you're designing a spa, you're designing a lobby. You get to touch everything a human interacts with sort of on a daily basis, rather than being a home designer who just does homes, or office who just does offices. But to your point, I think hotels can and should become this sort of testing ground. Like we've seen it done with retail, right? Like you see these retail companies entering into the space. And you know when West Elm sort of got into it, Part of the conversation I had with them was, look, how much do I really experience a couch in your store? Sure, I'll sit on it. I'll come visit a couple of times, but I'm going to sit on it cumulatively 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. But now if you have a hotel and it has your products in it and that couch is in the lobby, I'm going to go sit on that couch for an hour and work and have a drink and chat with a friend. And now all of a sudden, my experience with retail is so different and intimate, right? Like, I'm living, I'm using your fork and knife to eat in the restaurant. I'm using your shower head to shower. I'm using your towel to dry myself, et cetera, et cetera. So, it's a really interesting angle for, again, retail to experience with. And, you know, retail wants to be experiential. Well, what better way than in a construct of a hotel? Because, how could you be experiential at the end of the day in, in a, a, a store versus in a hotel? Similarly, a Noya house, for example, right? Josh Wyatt, brilliant sort of this idea of, you know what there are galleries and there are office spaces so you go to the gallery and you pass through it a few you know for an hour and then you come to the office like why don't we make offices galleries so all these people that are entering these offices are seeing that art again and again and you know art like you look at it today it says something to you, you look at it tomorrow it says something else to you so uh-huh. I think the convergence of spaces and this idea of and this is a very big idea now There is no binary in our world anymore. There is no right or wrong. There is no gay or straight. There is no white or black. It's all getting sort of jumbled in the middle. And that's how our kids want to live their lives. They don't want to be bound by binaries. So why is an office just an office why is a gallery just a gallery why is an apartment building just an apartment building so now you're seeing the confluence and the conversions of all these places coming together and i think that is the future i mean you're seeing a lot of this whole idea of apartment is going away and the american dream of buying a home is going away because you have these subscription-based places now where i subscribe to xyz company they have a place in seattle i live in seattle i want to go to new york i move to new york and i'm part of this club like and i just move around and i think we'll see a lot more of that is this very strict and structured society is becoming more blended together in a good way, right? I think it's in a good way, in a more creative way. And I think hotels are at the epicenter of that because they touch all those pieces of your sort of, you know, daily journey from waking to sleeping and everything in between.
0: I think um, from those big structural pieces and being this laboratory, these hotel laboratories that we're talking about, like. As you see the retail, the, the regular people, the investors with uh, ESG investing becoming so important to them and what they're doing, you can literally follow the money now. So, what I, 10 years ago, very active in sustainability, and I always say this it was like, okay, we used to watch TV, then we watched HD TV, now we're watching TV again. Um, I feel like that happened with sustainability. Supply chains changed, everything happened, like you couldn't even find some of these materials before. Now they're readily available, but we're not talking about it anymore. But one thing that I'm finding, I'm having more and more conversations about it through the pandemic, through all this rise of ESG money, where all the big private equity and big banks, like they they're making sure that whoever they're working with, whoever's raising money or they're raising money for, they can check those boxes because it's really important to show just everyone that they're that all of this really it matters to them. Exactly.
1: And doing it, and by the way, some are doing it because they have to because of the public pressure which is fine i'm happy about it right uh because ultimately it becomes the norm what what is appeared to be now you know done by pressure becomes the norm and ultimately it, it accomplishes the goal so i'm not complaining about why they do it i'd rather it be done from a authentic authentic place rather than have to but i'll take it either way by the way another thing that's becoming really exciting is sort of robotics i actually talked to some of the other day from ypo uh, made bots is the name of his company and his premise is i am creating the Jetson's Rosie for hotels. And I said, Well, okay, tell me what that means. And he says, Look, at its core, yeah, sure, it's a, it's a commercial grade Roomba. But think about what more you could do with it. All of a sudden, you have a camera on top. So it's security. You have a moisture sensor in it. So now it tells you if there's any damping, you know, uh, uh, water penetration issues. It has a Wi Fi enhancer in it. So now your Wi Fi signal is better. It has a blah, 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 read the temperature, adjust it. So all of a sudden, robotics are having a place. But again, I worry that many out of necessity for now, so I'll cut them some slack, are thinking about those automation thing as a cut humans out of the equation and thus cut cost. And I continue to say my, my, my preach is use technology to remove friction from the human interaction, not the human from the human interaction. And the premise is, look, I don't need to check in. I can do it on my app. So if normally you needed three people to check to, to man a desk, I have two. Cut one up, fine, but then pay the other two more, so they stay with you longer, and they're more adept and 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 inclined to spend more time with you and engage with your guests at a different level, at a higher level, I'll call it, at a higher calling, right? So I think there's a way to balance. Bottom line, obviously important, like you said, a hotel is a business; it's not charity. We've got to make money, but I think we we go to extremes, right? We either want all. Zero humans or all humans. And I think there's a lot of places in the middle that you can
0: accomplish the best of both worlds. Awesome, so I we've learned so much from you on this, like where we are, where we're going, but now like shifting gears to just talk about you, Bashar. So, mm. okay, you're traveling, you're, you're New York City, you're at 206 hotels, you're <laughs> getting up on the road again. Like when you really think of, when you're gone and you're really homesick and you're on a long trip, like what food do you crave the most?
1: Food, okay. Uh, funny enough, my beloved wife, Eileen, who uh, we celebrated 25 years this year. Congratulations. She, Thank you. She happens to be a very conscious and healthy eater. So there is no food I crave at home <laughs> because it's salt free and blah, 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 and na na na. And I'm, I'm very well fed, as you know, on the road. Uh, so not food really. Obviously, you know, I have I've kids at home, not one in college. Uh, my wife obviously who has been a saint through my journey sort of the rock that has kept allowed me to do what i do and and not worry about what happens at home because she was the ceo of the house and her job is a lot harder than yours and mine as you know from your experience Um, so i i sort of the pandemic has allowed many right myself included to see there's more there's more to life than just bragging rights about how many miles you have and how many nights at home you were not. Right. So so, and I think the pandemic has created sort of a, a burning desire for intimacy, being with other people, intimacy in sort of the human sense and people now know their neighbors and they know what school their kids go to. So I think there's now a balance between I draw a lot of energy from traveling and from engaging with strangers and from being in different places, like being at a strange place sometimes is debilitating to some. It's, it's what, what I thrive upon. I have this sort of race against time to go to every country and every place and, you know, essentially FOMO galore. So on the road, I draw energy from the fact that I love what I do. It's not work, right? So me, me going to do my job is not, is not a job. So it, it in and by itself is an attraction. Clearly being grounded at home and wanting to be with the family is probably the only thing that tugs at me, not necessarily the food. Thanks,
0: no okay. Eileen. Eileen, congratulations and yeah. happy anniversary. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Now thinking about like the, I always say like, what I do is inconsequential, why I do what I do. I think you just went into that pretty wonderfully, but like, well, into uh, the-
1: let, let, let me talk on that for a second. I, I am a huge believer in, and fan of Simon Sinek, right? Discover your yeah. why. And yeah. I actually had done it with my team before and you're exactly right. Don't tell me what you do. Don't tell me how you do it. Don't tell me where you do it. Tell me why do you do what you do? And I think, again, some of us have an innate desire to serve others. Like, look, I'll go to a party that I'm not the host of. And again, Eileen hates going with me to parties because what I end up doing is I end up being like the host of the party. I feel the burden to go to make sure everyone at the party is engaged. They're not standing in the corner awkwardly by themselves. They have a drink and I start introducing people and he's like, what the hell? Like I'm standing in the corner by myself now. Why are you leaving me out of it? And she says, look, if you're going to go work the room and I don't work it for selfish reasons, I'm not selling you anything. I'm not doing anything, but it truly is an innate thing in me that I have to be that the host of the soiree as it were. And that's really sort of what I say my job description is I'm the host of the soiree. So so. To me, creating those connections is my why. And you get to do that in a hotel like every every second of every day, right? Yeah. You're meeting new employees, you're introducing guests to employees, employees to guests, guests to each other, you're engaging with guests, you're meeting new people, energy galore. Like that is literally, I'm Nirvana.
0: So going, okay, so that is your why. Now it, to just briefly talk about the what, or you don't have to be briefly, but as far as with practice in this assembly, Talk about the what there, and then, but really elaborate on the why of each of those.
1: Sure. So, so look, very simply, I'm, I tell people I'm a hotel guy. I'm in the hotel ownership and management business. So, we'll talk about practice for a minute. Practice Hospitality is a management company. Does the world need another management company? Hell no. There's plenty of them, a lot of great ones, lots of friends that do an incredible job. The reason why I decided to do it is I said, look, there's this... Notion about the word management. You and your wife have your beautiful children. When you look for someone to attend to your children, you don't find someone to manage them. You find someone to love them, to care for them, to nurture them, to protect them like their own. You know what goes into creating a hotel. Mm -hmm. It is your baby. You lose Forget your, your money and the effort and all that, you sleepless nights. You agonize, agonize for weeks over what shape the doorknob should be. And when you're all done, you want to give your baby to someone to manage. So we felt that there was a disconnect with this idea of management. Management to me is checking people in and checking people out, making sure the PL, blah, 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 blah making sure the expenses are in track, blah, 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 blah. blah. there's the soft skill, which this idea of care that we are, you're handing me your baby and I'm going to do all that because I have to, that's what gets me in the game. But I want to do a lot more than that. I want to make sure your baby is the most noticed, the most adored, the most uh, uh, repeated business with, you know, versus all the other babies out there. And I think that's a skill that's somewhat lost because it's more art than it is science. It's a balance between the two. You can't have the artist, right? who your budget and your schedule and your financial needs are inconsequential, let me do what I do, nor really. the boring suits that are all machines, right? And that's why I think this idea of binary, and that's why I sort of I've abandoned the notion of independent good brand bad, is that's very binary. There's a place where a brand is the ideal choice and a place where independence is the ideal choice and then in between. So so the premise behind practice is, and we were trying to get cute, by the way, early on with the name to say, we're a hotel care company, we're a hotel nurture company. Obviously it fails because people are like, what? what does that mean? So we stuck with the traditional path, but the idea is if you want someone to manage your baby, plenty of good managers out there. You want someone to love and nurture and care for your baby and make it be in your mind at least, but in others, the best it can be, maximize its potential. We're in. A lot harder to do with hundred, a lot easier to do small. So our approach was to say we want to do this small scale. We honestly want to turn down deals, and we have. And you know, it's painful to turn down deals when you're a startup, and a pandemic, and and and. But ultimately, we wanted to stay true and authentic to it. So at its very basic, we're a hotel management company. But really, at the deep heart of it, is we are trying to do it with more emotion than just science. And emotion goes to the employees, to the guests, the way you deal with your partner. And I sort of tell, you call me to manage your hotel, I'll tell you, Dan, you have a problem, you will call me. You will have my number, my wife's cell number, my kids' cell number, if you want me, you will find me. I'm not gonna show up, sell you on my services, and then hand you some surrogate three, three levels down. So it's more of the old fashioned way, you know, hand-to-hand combat as it were relationship building chip conley way right he knew every owner he took them out to the games he knew their kids he had dinner at their houses that's the kind of management management company for the lack of a better term they're looking for on the assembly side similar it's just sort of more real estate centric and it was set up to take advantage of you know the idea that we we know how to find them we know how to do them just right without going over our skis because you know ultimately If you do it for yourself, wrong, because now it's ego. I want to do it for what the customers want, right? So if three and a half star is what that deal needs and what's ideal for it, I don't care. I'll go stay at five star if I want to, but I don't want to induce you, investor or partner, to make a hotel five star that shouldn't be kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the real estate vehicle. The other one is the management vehicle. And we're potentially contemplating the creation of a brand under the real estate umbrella that would also accomplish the goal of not just another brand. And I think we're tinkering Uh with some white space that we found that we think is underserved and fundamentally at the core of everything in our core values is do well by doing good. If being successful means crushing everyone along the way, I'm not interested in being successful.
0: I love how that whole idea of the emotion came up again in both of those, right? And that whole idea of that hospitality quotient or just getting into the heart and opening the heart and just filling because that heart between all of us is really what connects us. And that I'll, I'll tell
1: you how full of shit I am. Someone called me out on it because it was in one of the articles and I actually won it this deal to be announced on this premise. I sort of say, Dan, when I come to you to manage your hotel, you're calling me to pitch you management. Mm-hmm. My line to you is Dan, to the world you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world that's how your hotel will be to me because i don't have a thousand your hotel will be number one for me as your manager versus oh yeah you're in one of 50 and i'll get to you when i get to you so the sort of idea and you know this the, that, that the analogy i gave you is you say to a child right to the world you're just a person your your kid is just one person to the world He's a statistic but to you he is he or she are your world right so you think about that in a hotel construct and that's a very nebulous emotional thing. What does that really mean at the end of the day and you can't say that with a thousand hotels it's impossible right because ultimately you only have so many hours in the day and you want to divide your time and your energy towards what you can divide it by and you know statistically just you can't do it for fifty
0: hotels yeah I think um, that whole idea like Mike, talking about random people when you meet them and talking to them and being the life of the party, like my kids love and hate that about me because I love talking to random people. You're that way too, I know, I know. But it's interesting where you're saying that like on the hotel side, that I look at every person I'm talking to as my gateway to the world because it's through the filter of them and all of their connections and their life experience that I think you and I are both really curious people. And mm-hmm. every opportunity that I'm in front of someone, I wanna learn something, I wanna see the world through them. And mm-hmm. I think that's the emotional the emotional it's fun- part. It's funny, I'm
1: standing on a street corner with my son a couple of years ago, he's 17 at the time or something <laughs> like that. And we're talking about talking to people. He says, well, you're always like, you're always full of it basically saying, "What, what do you say to people? Like, what do you talk about? Like, dude, listen, you've lived a privileged life, You've traveled the world. You have so much to talk about, but I don't know where to start. I said, watch this. I literally walk up to a guy standing at the light, waiting to cross the street on the West Coast. So a little f- friendlier, arguably. I go up to the guy and 45 minutes later, I am still talking to this guy. 45 minutes. And my son is awestruck. It's so simple. And you know what it is? My secret formula, wink, wink. People yeah. love talking about themselves. They love talking about themselves. Oh, yeah. You get someone going talking about themselves, they will not stop.
0: And I love hearing about the world through anyone. So there's stories. Yes. And right? I love the stories. And, and it's just like a wave that I get to ride on. And it is freaking awesome. And people are rad. And businesses are rad when they're done correctly. Hotels are rad. So I always say, like, what I do is inconsequential. But why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys, right? So that's through connections or introductions or finding the right manufacturer or helping someone get a job. Like I love all that stuff. So I'm getting to you on the journey shortener right now. Let's just pretend you met your 25 year old self right now. And you're, Mm -hmm. you are you right now, you're going to give yourself a piece of advice to shorten your journey in life. What do you tell yourself?
1: wow. Um, I would tell myself. Never turn down a meeting because you never know what you will learn. And I say that to a lot of my folks, you know, you get we get bombarded with calls and requests for and sometimes they're vendors and it's salesy all the way. And fine, you write those off. But I, I never turn an opportunity down to meet someone or get to learn about someone, even if I have to sacrifice through some painful sales pitch in the process. I tolerate it, but ultimately that's what I would tell myself. Because I don't think I did enough of that early on. I was a sort of an older and wiser, is meet as many people as you can, talk to as many people as you can, learn from as many people as you can. And this isn't for only up, this is down the scale too, right? So I talk, I talk to 15-year-olds that I learn a lot from, you know, and I talk to 70-year-olds that I learn a lot from. Successful, And what is the definition of success, right? I mean, that's interesting. Like my wife is a teacher and she says, she makes virtually no money. And she says, I'm very successful. How do you, how do you define, define success, right? People define it with what your business card says and what your bank account says. And at the end of the day, that's such a shallow way to be successful. Right? I think we're successful by the amount of humanity we absorb during this short journey we have.
0: Yeah, I think it's that absorption and also the impact. And also each of those meetings you're talking about, it's a crucible. Like our hotels are crucibles. You put things in a crucible, you turn the heat up, and cool things come out, and you just don't know. So we're really by denying ourselves those experiences. We're we're denying Bring ourselves, ourselves service. Exactly. And you're reducing exactly. impact in the world. So Bashar, exactly. this was so awesome. I told you and I are full of shit. We could talk for hours. Oh my god, I want to keep going. So um yeah. but As we're just kind of wrapping up, like tell us, where can people find you and learn more about you? Oh, God, I am everywhere. And I've learned, by the way, along the way that for
1: SEO purposes, you always want to use your full name. So every every social handle is my full name. But I use this website Hotelier.life and it has all my stuff on it. So you can find me there. Uh, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, blah, blah, blah. I'm I'm there. I'm uh, literally everywhere. In fact, my teenage daughter Gets on something, she's like, dad, why are you on house party? I'm like, why shouldn't I be? So I'm there before them often. I love engaging with people. As you know, Clubhouse, I've been spending a lot of time on Clubhouse, preaching the gospel of, again, diversity and all these things. And that's given me a great platform. But yeah, hotelier.life.
0: Hotelier.life, great. And we'll put that up there as well. Um, So I just want to say thank you. And if people wanted to learn more specifically, hotelier.life, or they could go to practicehospitality.com or this assembly
1: has all the links on it so. everything okay great
0: yep. all right cool well hey thank you everyone awesome uh, chatting with you
1: yeah this is you, great I,
0: I hope you all learned something and laughed or you know tell someone about the podcast and thank you everyone and thank you Bashar. you were amazing and delighted we'll see you next time bye-bye